I should bring my spring screen a little closer, shouldn't I? You nearly need binoculars there at the back to see it. I'm going to read before you put the lights off, please. And I'm going to read from Psalm 121. It's a great joy and delight to be here today and to share fellowship with Pastor Bertie and his dear wife, Pat, and all of you. Very many of you have prayed for the meetings of today, and I say a big, big, big thank you. Meetings like this are not mechanical events. It's not something we can turn on and off. It's not just about talking or even preaching. It's about God stepping into the circle. Absolutely. If God doesn't show up, the game is over. And it's not a game. The battle is lost. And prayer is the factor that makes the difference. It makes the difference in your family. It makes the difference in our nation and government. It makes the difference in this community outside of us and this church, and it makes the difference inside the church. So we must do our part. We must pull our weight. We must put our best into it. And then the Lord will honor that effort. And if we pray and believe, He will not disappoint us. So thank you for praying. I've not come here to do what I did in the last meeting when I talked about Africa. I'm not a parrot, and I never want to be. I don't think it'd make a very good one, and I certainly wouldn't look very well. Um, I'm happy with the way I am. But I've come to speak God's speak. That's what God asked Jonah to do, to go to Nineveh and to speak God's speaking. God's message, and that's what I intend to do tonight. I'm going to say a few words of introduction when I read the Scripture, and then I'll show some pictures. And the pictures are not meant to amuse or entertain, not even inform. If they don't pierce the outside of your nice suit and your nice dress and prick you, not just on the outside, but deep into your heart. I have failed in my objective. That's my prayer, that God will touch you tonight, personally, and deeply, and radically, so that you'll not be the same. I tell many of my congregations, I do not come to pass on information. I come, I've come to challenge and to waken up people. Some don't like that, but that's the way it is. When you hear about the mission field, When you hear about continents like Africa and what God's doing, God wants to waken us up. I'm the God of Africa, and I'm the God of Northern Ireland and United Kingdom, and the God of the world. And what God is doing in Africa tonight, He can, and I want to tell you, and you write it down, God wants to do like things here in Dungannon and Moy. And Castle Caulfield and Portadown in Belfast. He wants to do like things. And what's happening there? Millions are coming to Jesus. He said, Don't believe it. Well, I didn't come here to tell you lies. And if you're concerned about whether or not I speak truth, you pack your bags and come with me on the 12th of February when I go back and do the round of meetings and ministry that uh, will be arranged. And see, make up your own mind. And I think when you're done, you'll be saying that the Queen of Sheba, you cheated me. You didn't tell me the whole story. You didn't even tell me the half of it. What God is doing in Africa, millions of Muslims, Muslims, are coming to know Jesus Christ. Does that not excite you? And all of you look at me in a strange way. There's not even a smile, not even a hallelujah. God is at work, I say. I really hope we haven't missed it. 
I really hope God hasn't passed us by. I really hope we haven't grieved the Spirit. I would say that in the majority of churches in Northern Ireland, the Holy Ghost has been grieved, and He's gone away. And you need to plead with Him. You need to plead with Him and repent and weep and fast and pray until He comes back. And then, and then, you'll see something that will surprise you. None of us were around in 1849, uh, 1859, at least I don't think so. Heard about the oldest lady in the world last week, read about her in Cork when I was down there for ministry, and she's 117 now, and she's looking pretty good. That has been authenticated, 117. Well, there's more than 117 years since 1859, but God worked a mighty work in our province when the largest number of people were saved in the shortest period of time in the history of the world. At least so we're told by those who have documented the evidence. And people were getting saved on the road. They were hanging on to lampposts, old gas lights in the cities. They were crying out to God in the fields and the byres and the hay sheds. They went to bed, but they couldn't sleep. They weep, wept and groaned through the night. <laughs> they didn't know where they were or what was happening to them. They thought they were going crazy, but they were under conviction of sin. People couldn't wait to get to church, and when they got to church, they didn't want to leave. And some of us were leaving before we arrive, or we want to. We need to be hungry for God, and hungry for revival, and we need to pay the price. And paying the price could mean the most inconvenient thing you ever thought about or wanted to do. But unless we pay the price, it will never happen. So, I'm saying I've come to talk to your heart and to show you some pictures to illustrate what I'm saying. Did I say Psalm 121? I certainly did. So let me read it. It's called the Missionary Psalm. I read Maud Kells' book recently, and she refers to it here, because of the coming and the going. And I acquiesce. We read it very often in Africa. And it's a great, great encouragement and blessing to us. So, with your Bible open, and our eye on the text, we'll read from verse number one. I will lift up mine eyes onto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper." The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. I can acquiesce with every statement in that amazing portion of the inspired chronicle of Almighty God. The Lord says at the beginning of 2019, I am your helper. Do you believe it? Well then, accept it and say, thank you, thank you, dear Savior. He says at the beginning of 2020, did I say 2019? I'm a year older than I thought. 2020, I am thy keeper. That's his promise. Are you prepared to accept it? Well, then do it. Say, I accept it, Lord. I accept it. You're going to keep me in any and all circumstances this year. 
And the Lord says, I'll preserve you from all evil, all harm, all danger. Everything untoward. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Are you prepared to accept it? Say, thank you, Lord. I hear you. I accept that promise. And the Lord says, I'm going to be your guide. I'll be your guide in any and all circumstances. I'll guide you in your business. I'll guide you in your ministry. I'll guide you in your family. I'll guide you through your difficulty, through your sickness. I'm with you. I'll take you through and I'll bring you out the other side. Going out and coming in. And our lives are full of comings and goings like that. And God has been so faithful. Between my wife and I, we have served God together for a hundred years. You say, well, you don't look a hundred. Of course I don't. But fifty and fifty makes a hundred. That's how long we've been in the ministry, serving God. A hundred years. And when I left home, my father said, I'm not going to give you a penny. You're going to college. You're not going with my blessing. He never even got up to say goodbye to me. But he was sorry later on when Roman Catholics in our community, and Fermanagh, Bertie knows it well, said, you're greatly honored, you know. You have a man, you have a son that has gone into the ministry. You know the way uh, the other side of the community would look at that. But he said, I'm not giving you a penny. And he, did, he kept his word. But God, give me a blank check. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need. And God has been doing that. And he's continuing to do it. And I know he'll do it to the end. So hallelujah for Psalm 121. I've given you a motto to take with you into 2020 this morning. 1 Samuel 2 and verse number 30. If you weren't here, write it down. It's for you tonight. 1 Samuel 2 and verse number 30. And here is uh, uh, another road map for blessing and for encouragement. I was asked to say something about my background. I could talk to midnight and then until the sun came up. And it doesn't rise until about 8 o'clock these mornings or half past 8, but I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> I was born into a, a drunkard's home and became part of a family of 14 children. I was the first to come to Jesus Christ. I remember when God spoke to me for the first time. I was 12 years old. I'd learned, learned verses of Scripture in a gospel hall Sunday school uh, run by the Deering family on the outskirts of town. They owned a big... Um, grocery store, one of the first of its kind, uh, these uh, self-help stores where you went in and you picked up the groceries and you checked out then at the end. And some of you are aware that Douglas was assassinated. We don't know about which, from which side of the community. Great, great tragedy. But his family had an interest in evangelization of the community. And they gathered in a lot of people like myself into the Sunday school. And amongst the first verses of Scripture we memorized was John 3 and 16. Gladys Deering went home to be with the Lord last year, I think it was, um, or the year previous. Last year, I'm almost sure. And um, she taught me, and taught me well, the things of God. And taught me John 3. And verse 3, except a man be born again. I knew that verse, those verses by heart. And one day I was standing in our sitting room at home. The furnishings weren't very elaborate, weren't very um, expensive, but a picture hung on the wall with that text on it. I think it came from the same Sunday school. And I stood and looked and read the verse, and God spoke to me in the most simple and yet in the most profound way. And he told me through John 3 and 3, unless I had a change of heart, unless I met with him, 
unless my sins were forgiven, I would never see heaven. Now, I wasn't a theologian, knew little about the Bible, knew nothing really, apart from those verses I'm speaking about. I feared God, and I trembled before Him. But I was far, far away from God. I heard the voice, and you know what I did? I wasn't fully aware of what I was doing. I turned my back, and I walked out, and I forgot. I deliberately put it out of my mind, and I went deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And I was fast becoming unreachable. I was already untamable. I was on a collision course with everybody, including Almighty God and the police. But I'll tell you something. There were people in that wee hall and in another wee hall where I went to another meeting. I used to go to another children's meeting. And I was so intolerable in terms of my behavior that very, very often I was on the verge of being excommunicated. Now, that's a very serious thing to happen to everybody, anybody. <laughs> but those dear people, like Miss Ada Clark, they bore with me, prayed with me, and they wept, I'm sure, until I came to Jesus. And they told me that they were so glad they had not put me out. They felt well compensated for putting up with me. So they were praying, and there was prayer targeted on our family. I say to you, target families in your community. Target families. People you know and people you don't know, target families. Not just praying once a year or once a month. Target families. There is a prayer factor in every conversion. No soul enters heaven or the kingdom of God except by prayer. There's people who pray or sin, and then we pray ourselves to get over the line, the sinner's prayer. Now, I gave my life to Christ one month from my 14th birthday, the 2nd of March, 1966, coming up on 53 years ago. And I was like Lazarus coming out of the grave. I'm not going to say much more. Everybody knew, everybody heard it wasn't put in the newspaper, but it almost seemed like it was, at least in my small world. This intolerable, this nasty, uncontrollable, impossible fellow has changed. Something, something has happened. Something has come over him. He's not the same. The wolf became like a lamb changed by the power of God. Nobody ever told me it was a bad thing to tell lies, but I, I found that out immediately. Nobody ever told me I had to stop stealing. Nobody ever told me I had to stop blaspheming. I had a very vile tongue, and I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed, totally, totally ashamed of my conduct as a young man. But if any man be in Christ... And when you get born again, you're in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. And all things have become new. Period. When you're born again, you enter the family of God. That's the first day you're alive. That's the first step of a long journey. You're a new creation, and only God can do it. The church can't do it. The Pope can't do it. Liturgy can't do it. Confirmation, infant baptism can't do it. Nothing can do it. You can't do it yourself, but the power of God can do it. It's a miracle, supernatural. And I want to tell you this, before I finish and move on, and it's a longer story, shared bits and pieces this morning unintentionally. When I got saved, the very first day I fell in love with Jesus. Are you in love with Jesus? Oh, please tell me that you are. Are you in love with Jesus, the Son of God who died for you? I fell in love with Jesus. I wanted to be like him. What is Jesus like? He is holy, 
harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. He's the Son of God. I wanted to be like Jesus. I wanted to be holy. And I wanted to serve him. Remember when the Gadarene demoniac got converted? He wanted to go with Jesus everywhere. Jesus said, no, you can't come with me. Go back to Decapolis, which is a name for the region of the ten cities. Go back there and tell the people how great things the Lord has done for thee. So I went. I started with my Decapolis, my Jerusalem. And I began to share my testimony. So I felt... I felt a call to preach. Uh, it wasn't at that time discernible, but the seeds of it were sown, sown. I never thought of anything else. Never thought of becoming a teacher or becoming a postman or becoming an astronaut or a bin collector. No. The only thing in my mind was serving God. When, where, how, I did not know but the Lord worked it out when the time came, and the rest is history. So for 52 years, like Enoch, I've been walking with God to the best of my ability and to the best of my knowledge and intelligence and from what I derived from my reading of the Scriptures. I told the congregation this morning, and some of you were there, that I've made it a habit every day, every day from that day, to read the Word of God and pray. And if you want to go on with God and go be strong and of some use to the kingdom of God, that's what you need to do too. And if you're not doing it, you need to repent before you leave this house tonight. Repent because you're a fraud. You're not real. If, you're not, if you don't love Jesus enough to read His Word and to talk to Him each day, there's something wrong. You may not have got the real thing. So make sure you've got the real thing before you leave. Couldn't wait to get into the work of God. I haven't had as many gifts as others. I didn't have as much to offer Jesus. But I want you to know everything, everything, everything that I had, it was put on God's altar. Put on God's altar. When I realized I could do that and that I needed to do that, I immediately did it. And when I realized I could be filled with the Holy Ghost and the fire of God, I prayed for it, prayed for Him to come and take possession of me. And I really, really, really meant it. And God did that for me. And when I prayed for a holy heart, the blood of Jesus flowed, flowed, flowed all over me. And it still flows all over me. And keeps my heart clean. I'm not perfect, but I'm going to a perfect place. And I serve a perfect Savior. Hallelujah. Never expected to be in Africa. I think Bertie meant me to tell you that. But I couldn't avoid preaching the gospel in those introductory remarks. And I'm watching my enemy on the wall. I'm tied down to time tonight, clearly. But we could have two sittings. I could release the... Urgent sitting to go home and the rest could stay for a little longer, maybe. <laughs> and you still won't laugh. My word. You're a whole pile of statues. Statues. Are you made of wood? Are you made of uh, polystyrene? Or what are you made of anyway? Go on. Your face will not crack if you smile. In fact, it takes fewer muscles to smile and to, 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 to frown. So they tell us, anyway. Never expected to be in Africa. Of course, the call of God came uh, in, uh, when I was 17 years of age. Uh, that was around 1969. Very powerfully, very powerfully. It could take you to the place. And later on, when my wife and I married, the call of God came on my life to go into a settled ministry where I stayed for uh, 28 years as a pastor. And on the 16th of July... I remember the date because it was my son's birthday. I was preaching to a group of pastors in Nairobi, Kenya. I'd gone there for a visit and I arranged a series of conferences and I was traveling and teaching and a, a, a group of pastors met in Kibera and I was preaching from Acts 13 and 
I was preaching on verse 2. As they ministered, talking about the five deacons, the five elders, rather, in the Antioch church, I called them the, the, the spiritual giants from the Antioch church. And I was preaching, expounding this verse. As they fasted and waited on God, the Holy Ghost said, Separate unto me Gilbert and Margaret. For the work whereunto I have called them. You say Gilbert and Margaret are not in Acts 13. I know that. But who wrote it? The one who wrote it put my name in there. And the Holy Ghost said, I want you to leave pastoral ministry in Northern Ireland. And I want you to come to Africa and carry on doing what you're doing here. That's 15 um, or more years ago now. It's as clear to me as I'm standing here in a pair of black shoes in front of you. Yes, I went home and resigned, packed my bags and made plans. Rest is history. And the Lord led us to build a church. Didn't realize what I was doing. I think maybe I'd already committed to building a church there before this happened. A church that seats about 800 people. Never thought that I'd leave that kind of memorial on the spot where God called me. But I did. And um, over the years, we've had many, very, many, very successful pastor's conferences there since that time. So, I was preaching to a congregation of people, and the word that I was preaching, it wasn't for them. It was for my wife's husband. You hear me? It was for yours truly. God had that message for me. It was through my own sermon that I was called to Africa. I'll never forget that. Never expected to be there. I am a surprised missionary. But I know I'm in the center of the will of God. I will ever, 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 ever thank God for the privilege of being in Africa to serve him at this time. To see what I've seen and to be a part of what God is doing. Oh, if God has favorites, I must be one to be allowed I couldn't say, I wish I'd gone 20 or 30 years before that, because God didn't call me. All those years in pastoral ministry, and those years, five years as an evangelist with the faith mission, traveling around the UK, just like uh, uh, Robert Little, <clears throat> sometimes on my own, I'm saying that all of that was preparation, preparation. Even the fact I was born into a poor home in County Fermanagh, and we knew all the hardships and deprivations of life. No running water, no electricity. The age of television hadn't dawned. I remember when I saw it for the first time in 1959. All those things. That's where Africa is. At least rural Africa. But things are moving very, very fast. Very, very fast indeed. So, there it is. It's nearly time not to stop now speaking. But it's nearly time to retire. But we're waiting on God. We're afraid of retiring before the time. I would like to stay until I'm 70. How long have you got? Well, I'll tell you sometime. You'd like to know, wouldn't you? You'd like to know. Hey. <laughs> Probably some of you are thinking you have another 15 years to go. Wonderful. Wonderful. Think on. <laughs> uh, we have a praise night. Here on the 20th. Appreciate Pastor Bertie and his leadership allowing us to be in this beautiful building for our meetings. Normally one rally at least each year, sometimes two, but there's a rally, um, a praise service. And um, we have a number of people taking part Mr. Parker Donnelly, Mr. Paul Crooks, Mr. Barry Migaki. And Mrs. Amanda Reed. Four very gifted soloists who have got the burden of God on their lives in singing. And we would love you to be a part of that meeting by coming. Would you like to hear me preach? You probably would say no. Well, I'll bless you by not preaching. Uh, there'll be a, a video clip lasting about 10 
or 12 minutes set to music with pictures about the Garden of Hope. It's about the Garden of Hope, so we must show you some insights because we're lifting an offering at the end for that purpose, to help the poor, the deprived, the destitute, the orphaned, and the needy in the district of Jishage. We have a school there with 200 young people, less or more, 40 in our orphanage, and uh, you will see maybe a few pictures here tonight. So pray about that meeting come. There's refreshments afterwards. Um, it might be the last such meeting. So if you've never been, wouldn't it be nice if you turned up? Wouldn't it be? For us, it would. It would. It's at 7.30, and you can come and bring a carload or a busload. But pray for the meeting. If you can't come, pray doubly that God will uh, be lifted up in worship and in praise that evening. Now, I'll have to motor on. I wonder, does my time start from now? I wish. Remon, could you put the lights out now, please? I've already said some things. This is what we want you to do tonight, to lift up your eyes and look. And some of you are seeing this presentation, I think, for the first time. Some of you may have seen part of it before. There may be a few pictures here and there, because we put a different one together each uh, six, nine, twelve months, clearly. This is our ministry Dorcas Ministries International. And we're serving Christ, not a church, not an organization, not uh, anything. We're serving the kingdom of God. We're teaching the teachers. And that is the one single big need in Africa. Because so many are coming to Jesus, they are at a very, very basic, basic elementary level. We could do with Pastor Bertie there for at least 10 or 20 years to pass on a little of the great knowledge and insights he has into the Word of God. But teaching is of the essence. And then helping those at the bottom of the pile of poverty. And that pile is very, very, very big. Because 80% of those living in Kenya one of the six countries we work in, 80% are either on or below the poverty line. Some only eat one meal a day, some one meal in two days. Very few in rural Africa have running water or electricity unless they have a generator. And I constantly see ladies coming with wee bottles every day to collect just enough oil to keep their lamp burning for that evening, or to buy enough unga to make the family a meal. It's a bit like the Indian corn that we used to get uh, to make porridge when I was very, very young. Something I want to leave with you, very tempted to preach, but I'll not, I cannot, uh, because of the time that three powerful affirmations of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, where he says, I am a debtor to everyone I meet who has never, never, never given their lives to Jesus Christ. Since the day he got saved, he felt he was in debt, in debt to the love of God, for the love of God, in debt to Jesus, for dying for him, in debt to mankind, his friends and neighbors, and everybody. He owed them the gospel, and so do you. I've come tonight to tell you that you're in debt. You are in debt. You owe everybody the gospel if you yourself are converted to Christ. And then he says, I'm ready to go anywhere. And he named Rome in particular, ready to go there and preach. I'm even ready to die there. And in a way, if you're not ready to die for Jesus, you're not ready to preach anywhere. And we came close to dying a number of times. If you're not ready to die, that is, if you're not on God's altar of sacrifice, you need to wait until you are before you go. Ready to go to Rome. 
Paul says, I may be executed there, and if that happens, so be it. I'll be glad to die for my Lord. And then I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I like that. Why should you be ashamed of Jesus now? Please answer me that. Why should you be ashamed of Jesus? Remember walking down the town, walking down our nationalist village in Fermanagh, used to carry the Bible in here. I was afraid of people seeing it and maybe talking about me. The Lord said, what are you doing that for? Are you ashamed of me or something? I said, no, Lord. He said, well, then take the Bible out and carry it so people can see it. And I did. I used to walk past rows of people and the Lord said, why aren't you giving out tracts to those people? Are you ashamed of me or something? I said, no, Lord. So I got a bundle of tracks the next time and I gave them out and I kept giving them out. And I stopped at the top of Copper Alley one time. It's called Church Street now. Don't use names like Copper Alley anymore. We've come up in the world in that part of Romana. And um, I stood there and gave my testimony and nearly everybody who knew me gathered down to hear. They knew I'd changed. They knew there was a miracle that had happened. And God did it, clearly. Not ashamed, because there's power in the gospel. Power. And we're seeing that power in Africa. John Wesley's motto, do all the good you can. Are you doing that? By all the means you can. And in all the ways you can. That's a very powerful motto. We haven't time to look at it. Thank you for standing with us. Remember Aaron and her standing on either side of Moses, up raised hands, holding on, holding on. And when his hands fell down, the battle with the Amalekites began to to go against them. But once they got the hands up again, they were beginning to make advances. And I said, you're not praying. The church is in reverse. The church is in reverse. The church is going backwards. The church is being defeated. I've been saying a lot about that today. And I'm sure it has been intentional. And so far as the Lord is concerned. Thank you for all these things I've mentioned on the board. My wife's not carrying the world on her back. But she's carrying her portion of it. And together we're trying to make a mark on Africa. And let me say, Africa has made a bigger mark on us than we have on it. I've never been the same since I went to Africa. How could I be? How could I be? When we see the tide of the Holy Ghost, when we're working as God's doctors in the theater where the Holy Spirit is moving so mightily, you could not be the same. Africa has done more for us than we have for it. Give me a vision. And where there's no vision, the world goes to hell. Where there's no vision, your community goes to hell. Where there's no vision, the church goes backwards. The people perish. Facing a task, my word, is the biggest task that you could imagine. Worldwide evangelization, a task unfinished that should drive us to our knees. How often do you pray for a missionary? How many missionaries did you pray for in 2019? Do you have a missionary prayer list? How deep is your interest in missions? Is your vision parochial just for you and yours? You know, in a lot of church prayer meetings, no disrespect now intended, A lot of church prayer meetings that I attend, much of the time is centered around praying for the sick and the dying and the bereaved. 
Very few pray for the drunkards and drug addicts, and very few enter into direct spiritual warfare. Very few challenge the powers of darkness that are wreaking havoc over the whole nation. Very few. Did you know, were you aware, I'm sure because your pastor preached on it, that our departure from the European Union was akin to the children of Israel getting out of Babylon, out of those years of captivity, like the children of Israel getting out of Egypt from under the heel of Pharaoh and their taskmasters. Were you aware of that? Getting out of the EU was like getting out of the system of Antichrist. And by the end of this month, our government is supposed to uh, ratify, finally, that decision. And were you surprised at all the antagonism, all the hostility, all the uh, shenanigans of people who were pro-Europe trying to stop that happening? It was because we were fighting a battle royal with the devil. How many were praying directly into that? Directly into that. That was a big thing. And there's many other situations like that. And we need to discern what's behind them all. But I'm saying the task is the great commission that has never been greater. And the only hope we have of fulfilling the great commission is right here. You see the African picture here? The calabashes being poured from one to another and maybe to another. We need the Holy Ghost. Please don't fight against the Holy Ghost. Don't assume that you're filled with the Holy Ghost unless you have the conscious assurance that you have. And pray and seek God until you do. Because without the Holy Ghost, there'll be no Holy Go. In here. In here. I wanted to say this. I wanted, I really wanted, I felt I needed to say this. So I stuck this in just before I went into the prayer meeting. I think you need to be reminded. I know you're constantly told about it. It's even on the back wall behind that screen. Jesus is coming very, very, very soon. Do you believe that? How many believe it? Come on, I'll try to test you. <coughs> Thank you very much. I think Roy had his hand up first. Good on you, Roy. He's coming soon. And you need to get your family in. You need to get your lamp burning, your lamp trimmed. That means to get all the soot and dirt out. Get the lamp, the wick trimmed, and get the, the flame burning clearly. Make sure you're one of the five wise virgins. He's coming soon. <coughs> Welcome to our house in Africa. We don't invite these guys in, but this guy, amongst others, can have come in. Over the years, there's been many snakes <coughs> that have come into our place. This guy was, he made a hotel or a guest house underneath one of our big, big, big flower pots. In fact, it was a shrub growing in the big pot. And I was moving it one day, twisting it and turning it, not aware there was a snake underneath it. And in the process, can you see what happened? Can you see what happened? Now, you should have sat up near the front and you would have seen it. You'd have seen that the head was really screwed up, crushed. The snake was killed. It was accidental. But when Jesus went to the cross and he did battle with the devil and the powers of hell, his victory was not accidental over that old serpent. Are we together? I put on my glasses to see who's listening and who's looking down there. There wasn't an amen in the house. Whose side are you on anyway? I said, Jesus crushed the serpent's head at Calvary. Amen? <laughs> really? Oh, that's a weak one. <laughs> I have to come back and talk to you. You see, I come from Africa, and they express their heart. They express their excitement. 
and what God is doing for them. I will build my church and that old servant who was in the Garden of Eden shall not prevail against it. I like that. And it's so true. Now, there's two teenagers for you to admire. Um, and you can read the writing. Our 15th year in Africa, traveling back and forth because we deputize for our own ministry and we preach and teach in other parts of the world uh, on occasion. But for uh, this number of terms of ministry, we have been back and forth serving God. The greatest privilege of our life. Remember this date, please. Remember this date. If I had another hundred lives, I would gladly invest them in Africa. If I had. If even had one more, I'd gladly invest it in Africa. But as I said this morning, only one life. Only one life. And will very soon be passed. Here's what's happening in Africa. I say to you that there's very little hunger for God today in the United Kingdom. I think it's very much the same in the United States. And across Europe, Europe is totally, totally closed, hostile, opposed to the gospel. Football is their religion. Football and alcohol and drugs and sexual promiscuity. Do you know something? If we don't have revival soon, witchcraft and sorcery will be practiced and will indeed grip the imagination and the minds of the people to a greater degree than the gospel and Christianity. Witchcraft and sorcery and interest in demonic things, demonic supernatural powers will take over. And that is fast, fast, fast happening, really. Not long ago, Scotland was declared officially as being a secular nation, pretty much close to, if not hostile to the gospel. Scotland. I'm surprised that England didn't make that declaration sooner. But there's a great hunger for God in Africa, a great hunger. And there's a great, great spirit of worship. You know, I was in the service one time when they worshipped and praised the Lord for two hours before I preached. Two hours. You say, what? They sang for two hours? They sang and they prayed intermittently. (coughs) And you know what? It seemed like 15 minutes. Do you know why it seemed such a short time? Because God was there. God was there. God was there. And then I got up and I preached for two hours afterward. You say, four hours? Yes. But it didn't seem long. When the seat feels hard and you get bored in church, just know that God's not there. God's not talking to you. Something's wrong. If you get bored, seat gets hard, you feel restless and you're thinking about the lunch. You might even be thinking about what you ought to be doing on Monday morning and you're in the house of God. Or you might be like the pair of boys that I heard about this week past and we're talking about football in the service very strong evangelical church talking about football and when they came up for communion they were still talking about football can you imagine what kind of spirit must prevail when those things are the case a heart for evangelism Everybody wanting to talk about Jesus. You know, some guys got on board the bus. The bus is traveling into the city. And a man, an evangelist, stands up and he preaches the gospel. Preaches the gospel for 20 minutes. And he makes an appeal. And maybe half a dozen people put their hands up and say, I want, I want to be saved. 
lead me to Jesus, please. And he leads half a dozen people to Christ. When the bus stops, he gets off, and he travels in the other direction for a half an hour. Gets up and preaches, preaches, his heart out, makes an appeal, and more people get saved. And he does that, going, coming. Now, you can't do that on bus here, otherwise he'd be put in jail, or arrested anyway. Fine. But in Africa, they're doing that. And my friend, Reverend Jones, he... Um, was waiting for me in a local town. I mentioned this in our rally, I think, some little while back. He was waiting for, the, for me to come and collect him. And while he was waiting there, a teenager, a young lady, was waiting too for a lift. She looked over and she saw a man standing beside her. She went over and said, uh, Excuse me, mister, are you saved? She was about 14 or 15, 16. Are you born again? Mister, are your sins forgiven? Are you going to heaven when you die? And she started witnessing, and he, he smiled. A minister, a strong minister of the gospel, being interrogated by a young lady. He said, I can't wait to go home to tell my congregation in Limavadi what, what I have been hearing today. And ask them how many of them, in fact he told them, he says, how many of you have got that kind of zeal? Everybody, everybody's talking about Jesus. And inviting people to come to the cross and to repent and be saved. That's wonderful really. Approximately 40. Can you see that at the back? Or do you need your binoculars? I told you, you should have sat up near the front. Approximately 40 to 50,000 to 60,000 pastors and leaders have attended our conferences and our seminars in the last 15 years. And many of them have wept. Many of them who are about to quit the ministry changed their mind. They had a new meeting with God. Many of them were not living right. Some of them were stealing, telling lies. Some of them weren't living right. They repented and got right with God. I'm glad God sent me there with a message from his heart to them. This is the church that we built in Africa, where we've had our ministry, our meetings, um, a number of times, quite a number of times, ministering to Upwards on two million people over the last 15 years. I never, never expected I would have that opportunity. And probably about 10, 15, 20,000 people have given their lives to Jesus Christ. Now, if only a half a dozen of them meet me at God's right hand on that great day, I'll say my heaven will be two heavens in Emmanuel's land, but I believe there'll be hundreds and thousands there. I've no doubt about it. The great privilege of preaching the gospel to people who want to hear it. You know the problem is in Northern Ireland, people don't want to hear the gospel. And when a mission's being convened, it's difficult to get the Christians in to the gospel meeting, not to mention the prayer meeting. And in a lot of my conferences, unsaved people come in because they hear there's somebody coming to preach. And at the end, I make an appeal and a lot of people come forward who are not saved. They come forward to get saved, to give their lives to Jesus Christ. And constantly and continually we're seeing men and women coming to Jesus. I'm saying in Africa, when people hear the gospel for the first time, if they don't respond to Christ the first time, when they hear it the second time, they come to Jesus. But it seems like some people need to hear the gospel 50 times or 100 times or more before they will yield to Jesus Christ. And the reason why that's happening in Africa is because the Spirit of God is moving. There's a stirring. There's a sound of a going of God among the people. Ah, yes. Am I boring you? You're getting quieter as I continue. Why is that? Are you thinking he'll soon be over? You see, there's one choir, there's another choir, and there's another choir. And they're all in the same church, and there's three more. There's a thousand members in that church, and they have a program of meetings every Sunday morning starting at six, with a service for people going to work. 
and another service then at um, 9, and the one at 11. I normally preach in the middle too. And they have meetings every day of the week, Monday to Friday, three times a day. That's a church on fire. And there's many, many, many churches like that. There's my friend, Pastor Ate. He's the engineer who's building our church, uh, sorry, our school extension. In fact, he built the original school. He's a pastor. Pastor Anthony Ate, and this is his wife, Ruth, and their daughter got married. I shared in the wedding not long ago, and I was invited to preach. I'm invited to preach at a lot of weddings. You come to the wedding, and you preach for an hour. It's an evangelistic opportunity. There's another one. This one was televised. House was full. The other one was in the open air. This was inside. Lovely people, lovely couple. And uh, you preach the word of God. And they want the word of God. I've done that so many times. Here preaching at school. With 600 young people. See a lot of people there. And you could have heard a pin drop as well as hearing the birds chirrup early in the morning as they heard the word of God. Lovely, sweet, powerful sense of the Lord's presence. And about four or five hundred give their lives to Jesus Christ. He says, what about that? What about it? God was at work and they were ready, ready, anxious for someone to lead them to Jesus. And every one of them got um, a Gospel of John. Another primary school very close by where we live. And uh, preaching at weddings. Preaching at schools. This is another one. 600, 525 or more pupils there. And about 200 of them over the last number of years have given their lives to Jesus Christ. Preaching in the prison. In prison ministry, over 2,000 have given their lives to Jesus Christ in the last 10 or 15 years. And you know, the prisons are more like a Bible conference or a convention. When they're not working, they're praying and they're worshiping God. They're studying the Bible. When they get out, if they do, they go straight in, many of them, straight into the Lord's work. They want to be evangelists or pastors. Amazing. I could talk for a long time about this couple, but I'm not going to because my time is up. Um, This couple, Salma, lady, her husband Emmanuel, three wee boys, David, Daniel, and Miles, just the other day, converted Muslim, at one time stabbed, almost bled to death. The other day she was driven out of her home in Kittengela, beside where we live. This is one of our missionary couples. We have five missionary couples. Five missionary couples. Three of them, three of those couples are ministering to Muslims. One couple in Ethiopia, a converted Muslim himself, and the other in northern Kenya, in um, Maoli. And this lady, really, she is international. I could tell you so many stories, some of which you would find difficult to believe. But God is using this lady mightily. But the devil wants her dead. You pray for her and pray for her brother, who's a pediatrician. He'd been working for years in Somalia, and he was targeted a number of times and almost killed, clearly. You see, when you're reaching out, reaching out with the word of God, there's a price a price to pay. City Cartons. Poverty. But happy, very happy, beautiful young people. This is a church. And um, there's a new one coming up. You can see that coming up. I brought these out on my container, these big doors. This is the same place, Pastor Benjamin. These church, These doors came from Belfast Zoo. And they're going to be the front doors, like your big front doors there. They're going to be the front entrance doors of a new church. Belfast Zoo is written on the glass. Uh, That's quite different, isn't it? 
quite different. <laughs> you know, some churches are like zoos. <laughs> they are like zoos. <laughs> uh, clearly. <clears throat> but uh, I said, no, you need to clean these up and get them really. And they will do that, I know. And the pastor, he's tried to get him to smile too, but he wouldn't smile for me. But when I hear about the history of the doors, I can't but think about where they're going. This building. You see, now it's the same building. It's ready for the roof, and probably the roof is now on. And this couple got married the other day. Nancy and Frank. I preached in this small church. In fact, we had a medical camp there not long ago. Really. New church, more like a cathedral. And... um, We've had three conferences there, and about 40 different denominations came. Over 40 different denominations. There's a Baptist church, and uh, that's the congregation. They have a lot of meetings, powerful choirs, about 600 members or more at one time. Beautiful choirs, conferences. This is where my heart lies, conference ministry, the Burning Fire Convention, I'm saying God is at work. About 2,000 come to that each year. You can see no empty seats. People want to hear the gospel. A hunger for God. When there's a hunger for God, the churches will be filled. The churches will be filled in England and in Scotland and in France and Germany. The churches will be filled in Northern Ireland. I close with these pictures of beautiful Garden of Hope. This is why, this is what we want to emphasize on in a few days when we get to the rally. And if all those wee babies in their mother's womb could talk, and their death sentence was signed the other day, they would say, if anybody's listening, hear me, I want to live. I want to live. There's doctors. And there's scientists and astronomers and engineers. And there's some who could make some of the most amazing scientific breakthroughs. They're saying, I want to live. But somebody says, I've signed and you're going to die. And the hungry can say the same. That's our family in Garden of Hope. And they're as dear to us as our own family. Director and former manageress with our dear sister Violet, whom some of you have met here. He's having his porridge at 10 o'clock. He has got a, he has got a commitment. So he says, excuse me. A man needs a break. On your way, please. Your cheeks are bulging with porridge. Doesn't she look it? She's happy. And we thank God for the privilege of rescuing some of these children that would be otherwise dead. This dear boy, Jackson, he's mentally challenged. We love him. We care for him. Another boy, Gideon, he is deaf and dumb and blind in one eye. And you know what? He's the happiest boy in town. He's now 16 and he's at high school. He is being cared for by us at another institution for the blind. All having their Uji, like Humpty Dumpties, including all of these, our little twins. This is what I want to show you here. Our project. This is what we are currently working on, and we're trying to get it finished. Another story on our school. Five very large classrooms and an apartment for volunteers who come to work. And we ask you, please, please, to pray about those things. Lord Jesus, you have said for as much as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren. You have done it unto me. As we travel the Jericho Road, we see poor sinners, some of them drunk, some on drugs, some destitute, bums, and 
some despised and rejected. And some little boys and girls dying of starvation with distended stomachs. Some with no clothes. They're bleeding and they're lying on the side of the Jericho Road. And you've told us to put our arms around them and to put our coat on them and to take them to a place called Garden of Hope and to care for them. That's our assignment anyway, Lord. And we're clear about that. But we need people to pray. We need people to hold up our hands. We need people to stand with us. But so many we find these days are so busy, so busy. They're building barns and they're building houses. And yet, Lord, there's so many that don't have a drink of water or a pair of shoes or a meal or don't have a desk to sit in at school. And I pray in Jesus' name that you'd raise up more helpers so that we can do more before Jesus comes back. And we've been reminded tonight the time is short. The Great Commission has never been greater. There were never more people in the world that needed to be reached, evangelized, brought to Jesus. God help us. God help us. God help us. God help my wife and myself to do our part. We've given ourselves to this work until many, many, many times. We've been ready to fall down. And we're about to, we're about to come back and stay, but there's nobody offering anyway to take our place. But I do pray that you will raise up others, raise up others to do uh, uh, something more, to take things to the next level, to do things that we couldn't do. By your mighty power, please, Lord, do something on our behalf. Burden the people to pray. We know this is the greatest ministry, and in heaven the greatest rewards will be given out to those who have been intercessors. Be with us now, Lord, and our families. Save our loved ones. Dear Jesus, don't let them die in their sins and go to hell, to that awful place of fire and flame. We know it's real. We know it's real. We know it's real, and we tremble. So, Lord, help us to reach out to some poor soul this week. Some poor soul this week and to help point them to Jesus Christ. Bless every one of us here. Mark us, Lord. Mark us in the seat where we sit. We've heard a message tonight. And we said at the beginning we wanted to touch every heart. If we could, Lord. If we could. So, Lord, bless your word, please. Bless your word and bless your work. Be with us now as we take our leave to go home. Some have come from far. Keep them safe as they travel. And even though it's just down the road, Lord, keep us safe. We're living in dangerous times. You're the God of Psalm 121. Hallelujah. You promised to preserve us from all evil and to be with us in our going out and in our coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. And for this we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've transgressed my time, and I apologize, but I've spoke the word of God to you. What has God said to you? Has God spoken to you? He's expecting you to respond to him. God bless you.